I'm very excited. I've been, I've been reading your book, The Alchemy of Your Dreams, and I find a lot to be excited about. So essentially we're, we're doing this article for a magazine that I've been producing for a number of years, which is an online magazine called The Artist of Possibility. And the issues tend to be theme-based, and this theme is the awakening potential of sleep and dreams. So I was looking and I found your work and I started to look at your book and I thought, oh, you'd be perfect for a couple of reasons. My initiation to the spiritual path, which was, you know, now decades ago, kind of in the late 80s, probably, was through lucid dreaming. At that time, I was reading Stephen LaBerge. I guess Stephen LaBerge, I was interested in and Carlos Castaneda you know and those are kind of the two main people that were talking about lucid dreaming there was also the uh, experiences out of body group which was related but different so for some years I was fairly consistently entering my dream you know awakening in dreams and trying all the things that I was learning that you should try especially from Carlos Castaneda I found out that you every time you open a book to the same page it says something different and I found out that I couldn't look at my own reflection in the mirror in my dreams and I would summon people into my dreams by imagining they were in the next room and then going and then I had a friend who was into lucid dreaming and we were trying to connect in our dreams, which never actually worked. But, but after a few years, I uh, encountered a teacher and I got involved in meditation and I basically left all the lucid dreaming behind. Okay. And my spiritual practice became meditation. And then more recently, I mean, I've always been fascinated by you know, my fascination with dreams and lucid dreaming has always been there. But about a year ago, one thing led to another, and I ended up doing a yoga nidra teacher training just out of curiosity. And it just reawakened all of that. I can imagine. And I started to see how my lucid dreaming work from early on, you know, it never really ended. It just moved into a different domain. It informed my meditation practice in ways that I wasn't aware of. So for me, the the lucid dreaming was always about awakening, spiritual awakening. And so what was most exciting to me in your work is that I was hearing the same thing from you, which there's lots of reasons people get into lucid dreaming and dream interpretation. Because you're, you're, not limited to lucid dreaming, although you do write about it. So right in your introduction, you said, uh, when you dream, you are guided by something much larger than just your own mind. You are led by spirit in tandem with your own psyche. And when I read that, I thought, okay, I really would love to talk to this person (laughs) because to me, that's kind of the whole point when you're connecting with that liminal state, that dream state, you're connecting with more than your familiar mind. You're connecting with a reality beyond that. And I guess I would just love to give you some space to speak about your own experience of that. And also anything you want to tell us about your history of dream work and how Mm -hmm. you got into this in the first place. 
Well, so firstly, let me tell you, your story sounds very um, interesting. And I think it's amazing how I always feel like meditation and lucid dreaming, they are two pathways to the same thing. And actually, if you focus on both, if you ever want to, I feel like they end up really helping one another or that that's been my experience with that sentence that you read to me. It was very um, funny because I wrote my whole book. I had written the introduction of the book, which was different to the intro that you've seen and read. Right. And it hit the end of the book. And I actually at the time I wanted to write a whole chapter on the greater awareness of the illusion of reality and maybe step into dream yoga a bit more. But when I wrote my book, I was very clear about the fact that I was going to be speaking. I thought I would be speaking to beginners. So most people would come to me and say, I can't even remember a dream. Now I'm asking people to not only just remember a dream, but like to go into a dream and do work. So that's why I split up the book in that there's symbolic work. You go into the liminal passages and then into the lucid dream passages. And then it came to finishing the book. And instead of writing the dream yoga thing, I, I woke up one morning out of dreaming and that was the sentence that came to me and I knew that that would speak to people who had either been practicing for a long time or were brand new because I feel that is it's like the resonance of the thing that make that people feel and then so even if you don't consciously know what it is there's something in us that goes yes this makes sense there's something here and it kind of it's it's I mean, it's not a hook, but I guess it is a hook that people feel like, yes, that's kind of why I want to do this. And then in terms of how I got into dream work. So when I was um, much younger, I would lucid dream all the time, but I didn't know what it was. And I'd often go into the um, in-between stages of sleep, but I'm talking really young. I must have been like seven or eight at the time, maybe even I want to say six, but I can't really remember because my parents used to say to me, you have to go to bed at a specific time, but my, I would be wide awake and I, re but I'd have to like force myself to fall asleep. And in a way it kind of trained me. I didn't realize it, but I was training as to how to get into the liminal passage of going from waking consciousness into sleep consciousness into dreaming but what happened to me when I was a kid is I often saw things that were quite like jarring and quite frightening and so it I hit like my teenage years and I just stopped I think I just shut it all down you know like I think it was a self-protective measure and I just shut it down and then later I decided when I was in my 20s I thought I wanted to do um, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I felt like psychology, eventually after some soul searching, uh, psychology felt like the right pathway for me. And then because of synchronicity and a whole lot of events that happened, I worked in this esoteric store called, it was at the time called the House of Isis, like as in Isis, the goddess, right? Not the terrorist group and um so I did my training as a psychologist but at the same time I was working in that space and all the um you know the spiritual teachings I had I had access to everything specifically in Johannesburg at the time where you know like yes we had the internet and everything but getting information was not I wouldn't it's not as easy as it is you know in the U.S. or in other places I mean it is there 
now it is like that it's really easy to access information but so like in terms of my own journey that's what happened I did my psychology training at the same time with training shamanically and then train just reading I read a lot I read a lot about like zen books I didn't actually read about lucid dreaming at the time and then it just automatically came came back to me I worked actually in trauma for a very long time in private practice and then in 2016 I knew I had to I knew I had to do this work but I was avoiding it because I didn't want to really be public I didn't want to be like a public person I didn't it didn't really I didn't know if I was comfortable with that but I did it and I listened and I moved everything online and everyone said to me you're crazy don't do this but it was like all the right steps and so that's how I'm here talking to you now <laughs> it's a long journey but that's that is it so the thing that was crazy was shifting your your work the focus of your work and did you say moving to an online is so, your work mainly online so because yes now it it was mainly online but so my husband and i we immigrated last year to the us and so at the time in south africa there are there are big communities in terms of dream work and things like that but it's not um it's i wouldn't say it's as big a community as it is here so when i set up my business i aimed because we knew we were wanting to immigrate i set up a business aimed towards the states and so most of my clients are american and they have been for many years even though we've just recently you know we've only lived here for a year so now i i am planning on doing in person things and i have done in person like conferences and workshops but I would say predominantly my work now, it's the books and the online programs. Mm, fantastic. Well, that's that's wonderful and welcome. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> as, a, as a recent uh, arrival. Uh, so as I said, that initial line, which you described uh, as a hook, it definitely hooked me. So it worked in that sense. You also said in the same introduction that that you believe that we reconnect with a greater unified consciousness the universe spirit or source um every night when we sleep that's you know that's a fairly traditional view of hinduism as well but i wonder if you could just say a little bit about how you see us connecting and what it is that you see as that universal unified consciousness so it's interesting for me that has changed over time the more i do this lucid dream work and really working on just being very trying to be awake and mindful really at all times as much as possible when i wrote the word the universe i meant it to be whatever people may believe in spirit the spirit world non-physical the universe what i am coming to feel that it really is is that it's actually awareness which is traditional buddhism or hinduism even uh, kabbalah speaks about this where it's the greater awareness that we are but at the same time so it's like awareness with a capital a but at the same time when we dream we have our small mind awareness so it's like the two forms are of awareness are connecting and so i view that universal source as greater awareness yeah i mean i i would certainly that resonates with me uh, <laughs> you know absolutely and 
You speak in the book a lot about the hypnagogic state and, you know, that's a state of that exists in between. So, so typically that's in between waking and sleeping. You also mentioned a term I haven't heard before, which is the, I don't even know if I can say it, the hip, hypno, the hypnopompic state, which I guess is the inverse from sleep to waking. Why does that one get less airtime? <laughs> I think for me, I know why I left, not didn't leave it up, I didn't write about it as much, is that in my own practice, I find it much easier to step into, to transition mindfully from waking consciousness into sleep consciousness into dreaming. So just like going to bed at night, that for me has been an easier practice. Whereas waking up from the dream state, if you are just regularly dreaming, so you're not lucid, you're not aware, and then you're moving through the passageway of awakening from dreams and sleep into waking consciousness, I have I only experience that if I do very sort of like set and structured practices, you know, set an alarm for 3 a.m., set an alarm for 5 a.m., but I find it much more difficult. And I think that for some people, like as part of my dream participants, um, dream group, they, some people will find the waking much easier and then find it much harder to do it at night, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think it really is person dependent, but each state, the more I do this, the more I've come to realize that actually it really doesn't matter because it's our, I think it's really the belief behind it that it is something that becomes the barrier. But in each place, you have the potential to become awakened, to be lucid, to be conscious, as in, oh, yes, they, these are in all three stages. I am the awareness behind both three stages, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um that has been very helpful that recognition for me which sounds so obvious but like really embodying it has been so helpful because the resistance to just experiencing it lessens i guess so in traditional eastern particularly hindu tradition that consciousness is known as turiya so you have you have Mm -hmm. the waking consciousness dreaming consciousness deep sleep consciousness which are the the three normal states that we're, we all experience then you have turiya which means the fourth the fourth is the awareness behind all those and what you're describing is the dream work can lead to the to an awakening to that you know which is which i would refer i would call that our true self which is yes. essentially what you're calling it so to, to say a little bit more about my own experience, as I said early on, I did a lot of lucid dream work and I was very interested in it. And since then I, I write novels and I have a series of novels that I write about lucid dreaming and some of the world's great dreamers. When I got introduced to meditation and, and you know, more specifically to Hindu teachings and, and Eastern teachings, I really pivoted away from that. I had very powerful experiences in meditation almost immediately. I had very powerful experiences almost immediately. The the meditation experiences took a little bit of work, but at some point down the line, when I was on a long meditation retreat, I I was very, very sleepy because we were meditating, you know, from early in the morning to late at night, and I had vowed not to sleep in my meditation. So I was struggling to stay awake. And at some point I heard my mind said to me, 
you're not actually sleepy. And I realized I wasn't sleepy. I was perfectly clearly awake of a sleeping body and mind. And I was, I was as awake as I ever was and ever could be and ever would be. And so for the next three nights and days, I couldn't lose consciousness anymore. So I would just watch my body fall asleep. I'd watch dreams come and go. I'd, I'd watch emptiness. <laughs> and then, then my body would wake up and it would start moving. And I would, you know, I was just in this state of wonder going, what does it even mean to be asleep? I'm, I'm never asleep. The mind and the body are asleep, but I'm always here. And after that, and this gets to the point you made earlier about the ways in which dream work and meditation can be, I mean, in some ways they're, they're not different. But after that, in meditation, if I was, especially on a retreat where I could really relax, you know, I could sit in the chair and relax so deeply that my, my mind and body would fall asleep. And so I would just feel my body kind of breathing as if it was on a respirator or something. And it was I just love that. <laughs> sitting up and then I would just be inside it, you know, kind of like, okay, mm -hmm. now, now my mind and body are asleep and, and I'm, my awareness is still aware of that. And I mean, it was like, it was like some interesting inverse of lucid dreaming because I didn't need to be asleep to have it, but it was essentially the same space of that fourth. And I realized that for me, and, and maybe if I had had, you know, met a teacher like you, it would be different, but I didn't take my lucid dream experiences. I didn't see the spiritual significance of them. I loved them. I enjoyed them. I saw the, you know, kind of wild Carlos Castaneda yes. version yes. of them. But it wasn't until I, I encountered more traditional spiritual teachings and, and practices that I started to take them seriously. And yeah. I guess now it's all kind of, I'm seeing them as variations of the same thing. So I think that's what I'm learning very much daily as I do this work, that that is what I'm coming to learn more and more. And hearing your experience of being awake and aware even though your body is asleep, sound asleep for three days continuously like that, that is something that I feel is so, it's like a, a core truth. And it is so easy to get distracted and to forget that that is actually available. And I think the thing is, my experience of it, like I, even when I wrote my book, I hadn't I have no, I do not have formal training in this. Do you know what I mean? It's, I did not sit in an ashram. I didn't do um, dream yoga with the Buddhist. That was not my life. Like I had to, I was very busy. Do you know what I mean? I had to earn money. I had to create businesses. I had to study degrees. I didn't have that time and space to do that. Maybe now I could probably commit and do that if I wanted to, you know? And in a way, I think it's kind of sad because when you lean on the traditional teachings, they know them, they've mapped the pathway and it's, I think, much easier. But I think something that also happens to many modern people is that it's not always easy or accessible to, fight, to, get, uh, to get access to teachings. Maybe that's not entirely true anymore, but I do think there's something to that. So like my book, I'm lucky, my book's been published in many 
it's been translated in a lot of languages and one of the places is in Korea and it had such a good response there and I think it's because it's taking something and making it so tangible for people who are in their everyday lives right so that if they can't commit to a more um, traditional space or teaching this can at least act that it can act like a gateway a doorway and I think with the teachings of like Carlos Castaneda and Peach um, you know, like more of the shamanic, even like Lynn Andrews, I write about her in, the, in my book as well. It's a very different kind of approach to dreaming. And I think they interact with the powers, uh, you know, the powers of the mind, meaning like the archetypes of the psyche. And that's not necessarily like the more I become conscious of my own greater awareness, that all becomes more meaningless to me. And so I begin to really resonate now with more of the Buddhist and I guess Hindu, I'm not very aware of their teachings, like that makes more sense to me, you know, so that it's not about power, it's not about um, even like Jungian integration, although I speak about that a lot in the book, because I think it's a great starting place, you know, but depending on where where you kind of act depends on what you you need, you know, so I would, I would say for someone like you, you doing the practice you've done, you do the everyday practice of it. And in the everyday practice of it, it can be so helpful to recognize, oh, well, this is something in my psyche that is coming up over and over it is repetitive in its symbolic representation in the people that I meet daily or you know and so there is something there that in awareness needs clarity and clearing maybe or greater integration so that they, it doesn't it can call you know so you have less suffering or whatever the maybe not even less suffering whatever the goal is so that the pattern doesn't come up over and over again and I think <clears throat> that's what I am learning to do it's what I like to teach people to do because I feel like we are we are both it is so rare it would be wonderful to meet <clears throat> people who are always in that greater awareness space you know but we hit we're not most of us are not and so it's the balance again, for me, it comes down to like a balance thing, like how much can you commit to it? How easy is it to reconnect? It's actually very easy once you realize there isn't a disconnect. <laughs> in terms of being in that higher space all the time, it's, it's not actually very functional. What I've, I've come to realize that one of the miracles of consciousness is that it's always attuning itself to the needs of the moment. Yeah. Uh, and so you find, and I'm sure you find that when, when you need that kind of direct access to higher wisdom, it's available to you because the circumstances are calling it out. And, yes. and when you need to do something practical, you have to the do consciousness it. you need for that is what gets called forth. And I love what you just said. You talked about the more shamanic use of dreams yes. and, and the power and, and interacting with the kind of, um, archetypes of the psyche and Jung and how that has become less compelling to you. Yeah. And I, I'm believing that you've studied some Tibetan Buddhism. I kind of got that impression from your book. Little bit. A little bit, but it's <laughs> like a, it's an orientation yeah. that you evoke yeah. in the book a bit. Yoga Nidra, by the way, specifically means the state of being awake in sleep. And so it's the, the Tibetan dream work and Yoga Nidra are similar and with differences but 
but I think largely similar. But you were saying that more shamanistic orientation has become less compelling and the more Buddhist or the spiritual orientation is yeah. more compelling. How would you see that difference? What is it that's become more compelling to you now? So it's interesting. I guess for me, on a personal capacity, right, the intention changed. So I think originally I, I was also trained shamanically. I think innately I, I tend towards shamanism in many aspects. Um, I think it's a great pathway of healing. and But I feel now for my personal practice, not having an intention that has anything to do with a goal which I feel like, at least in my shamanic practice, there was that, has been more helpful. And so kind of that for me feels like maybe, I mean, I don't even know if that is the difference between them, but I think that is the fundamental difference in my own practice. With my dream groups, though, with people who join me for my programs, I def definitely mix the two. Um, because I feel like it is helpful. It is so helpful to have like a conceptual understanding of something, right? And if someone, for example, I had one of my, my dream groups this year, it's a nine month program. And I had people from all over the country join online. And there was one core thread for almost all the participants and they had lost a significant loved one and it was almost unexpectedly for all of them and so they all arrived in the group with quite a lot of like grief and a lot of trauma I would say and so I felt like in the energy of needing to clear that trauma out the shamanic practices are incredibly helpful as well as the psychological ones right the day-to-day -day, like okay I, I find myself falling into this kind of psychological pattern and I have to get myself out. But sometimes it's also just the energy work of like, well, seeing something stuck in the dream state, in the energy state, and being able to clear that out. And so for the dream group, that was such a helpful way of working. Because if I feel like if I had said to them, go behind the symbol, go behind the image, go behind all these things, it makes sense conceptually, but experientially, no. And so for me, in my own practice, it's like, depending on what's happening, like if I'm very stressed, that it's probably ideal to go to the place where you're just watching everything as the illusion that it is. But sometimes I, I find like I have to be more pragmatic. That's what I find helpful. So I do whatever works, right? And so that's kind of how I view, I have been approaching this practice. You know, now, but the more, if I'm in a calm and balanced state in waking life, I find my goal now, I guess it is a goal, is to just try as much to recognize the, the greater awareness. And in, in trying to do that, like when I'm walking the dog, like I'm trying to think about like, where am I when I'm doing this, you know? So what I'm hearing and I'm loving is there's the, you know, the realm that we could I, I tend to call it the earthbound, the realm of the earthbound self, right? It's the, it's the realm in which I'm Jeff and you're Athena and right. I have my life and my activities and you have your life and your activities and I have my mind and it's, it's uh, you know, pros and cons and you have your mind with its pros and cons. And at that dimension, that's what's real. When you enter that fourth state, right, which is what you're, I think, now saying 
the goal of your dream work right. now is more oriented toward that. When you enter that fourth day, you kind of see that all as, I, I tend not to use the word illusion because that feels diminishing, right. but yes, as an illusion, you know, you yes. see it as, as partial maybe is, is the way yes, that that's I, a better it's, word. It's right. a partial reality, but it's not, yes. uh, it's not all of reality. And when you're looking at it from that higher place, yes. you see it very differently. Yes. And, and you're not, yes. often the things that concern you in that world don't concern that higher yes. part of you. So I think that's what you're saying is that a full embrace of both the partial yes. reality of, of the world and this higher reality that we are is right. kind of what, what your practice is leading you to and then what you're bringing people to, which I, I think, hope so. Right, attempting to. So I wanted to go someplace with this if you have a few more minutes, sure. um, because this also dovetails with more recent interests of mine, uh, because you and I are very similar. So I would say we're operating as artists of possibility, which means we're taking our experience and we're exploring it and we're trying to make it, we're trying to create that same possibility for other people. And I don't hear that either of us is claiming we're right versus wrong. No. But I always tell people, I, I can only share what works for me. You know? yeah. <laughs> and and what, uh, you know, what else can I do? I can't prove anything. But you speak about, so this was a great, I have way more quotes than we could possibly get to, but this one you talked about, the liminal space between the unconscious and conscious facets of one's psyche are mediated through a psychopomp, which is right. another word which I had never heard. And you, you, know, you talk about where that word comes from, but you basically translate it as a soul guide. And, and so I wanted to connect this with, well, I see the the realms that we that we come into contact with specifically in that dream state right the liminal state uh, what Andre Corbin called the imaginal realm not as images or or concoctions of the mind although that is also true but I, I I've recently really been embracing the fact that these are real places yeah. that that we are visiting real places and when we encounter other beings there. We are encountering real beings. They aren't real in the physical three-dimensional material sense, but right. they are as real in those dimensions as, as, we, are here. as we are here. And, and when yeah. we enter that dimension, we are entering ourselves in that. Like I see us as existing in all dimensions simultaneously, yeah. and we can choose to embody in different realms of being Right. and engage there. And I would love to hear how you, first of all, just feel about that interpretation. I really resonate with that in interpretation. I think that is strongly how I feel about it. And I think the that is really where the art comes in, into like being able to recognize the difference between the levels of consciousness that you are entering that those spaces in, with, right? So like, for example, if you're stressed out and then you go to sleep and then you have a dream where you're like at a hospital or, you know, something is frenetic, there's your consciousness, that that anxiety consciousness has followed through into the dream state, right? But when you are in places 
there's like a different resonance there's a different feeling to it and I really have come to learn and respect the fact that actually I am in in different places well or timelines or space-time continuums whatever the right word would be I'm not sure and that those non-physical beings entities are real in the same way exactly like you're saying and that it can be trans um trans-dimensional in in that you know that is having multiple ways of functioning it's the same way i kind of view it that like we're sitting here having this great conversation right our souls we're embodied at the moment we are trying to have like a good mindful conversation using aspects of our higher selves whilst we're speaking but when you're on the computer you're watching tv your soul doesn't disappear it doesn't cease to exist because our focus on it isn't there anymore and i think it's exactly the same with the different realms of what we can enter i and i think the thing is which i have learned over and over again um is that it can the fear based thinking which i think is so prevalent to being human um is what can interfere with that because it's like the doubt can come up or the fear of getting lost or hurt or seeing something that is unpleasant or whatever it is whenever the internalized fear is that's something that i've really had to work through so that you that, so that once you've dealt with those fears you can access those places and understand what is happening a book reader you know so yeah and I think in the book when I wrote about the unconscious and conscious faculties and the psychopomp it's a very like um it's a, a Jungian term I think the psychopomp and but you know psyche it means soul in Greek and it's soul guided and you don't really need to do anything because you're nightly your soul does that anyway right we are in the ether with our non-physical you know dream bodies whatever you want to call it the non-physical part of us that is what is experiencing those places or realms you know well the awareness of that of what we would delineate as non-physical you know so it's interesting it's interesting it's a great place to be able to explore as well you know <laughs> absolutely yeah. well and i'm wondering if you because on the one hand we have the experience of journeying to other realms, say in our dreams or even in meditation, you know, in, in entering those liminal spaces. And more and more, I'm experiencing that as a journey, as me going somewhere that exists. At the same time, I'm also becoming more and more aware that this person that I am here contains a lot more of those other beings. I habitually and have been trained to define myself as a unified singular being yeah. but i'm more and more becoming aware that yes there's jeff the kind of earthbound personality mm -hmm. and self but then i'll have intuitions i'll have insights i'll have emotions that don't seem to be coming from this okay. realm and right. and if i'm speaking with someone like you of course i'm having even more as right. you're saying yeah. higher elements of our being are wanting to get involved in the conversation Exactly. And it's allowing it through. It's funny that we're talking about this. So I'm writing my next book. It's it's again, it's on archetype. It's aimed at a very specific audience. But it's a lot about intuition and this like greater um the greater version of us that isn't singular. And it's very 
um, interesting to me because when I get intuitive hits, I often hear things. I'm can be I'm clear audience, but I've always thought of that as a they, but not in like a you know not in how we're using our pronouns currently, like as in they as in in a group. And yes. I think that's kind of exactly what you're speaking about, and and but turning it inwards and in that like oh yes, it's so easy to think that you're singular in your being, but that is a very like it's our it's our ego self way of identifying it but you need both right you need you it's exactly what you were saying earlier you need you as you are but then also the understanding that you are in a greater capacity and i do, and i think the more and more i do this i mean you could really jump down a rabbit hole it's the awareness of perception i sometimes feel like am i even moving if i meditate too much sometimes and start to feel like is anything you know how like we move through the world we feel things we move sometimes i get the feeling that i'm not that is actually not real, you know? <laughs> I, I look, I'm, I'm getting tears because I'm completely with you. Uh, I, I never did this, but I wanted to do a workshop. Um, and what I wanted to do was have a workshop where every participant was, was got, to, got to do this demonstration where they would sit in a chair right. and, and they, would, they would be staring at a TV screen, but someone else would be walking around yeah. Oh, wow. and, yeah. And, and just to, to sit and look at that long enough so that you could get a, what would happen if you identified as the one walking right. and, and you would forget that you were staring at a stationary screen that's and you would experience yourself moving through space because that's, I think what you're saying is, is in okay. deep meditation, you feel like, oh, I've never gone anywhere. I mean, for me, it was jarring, I guess, to some degree, it was kind of shocking. I was like, oh, wow, you know, shock, shock. And then I was like, oh, yes, that makes so much sense. I watched um, the Roald Dahl, like, short movie with the guy who was from Doctor Strange. The story is, in essence, he's a gambler, and he wants to learn, like, a series of events happen, and he wants to learn how to see the card number at the back of the card. And then through the practice, he actually becomes like a mindfulness master. Obviously, that ceases to be important to him, but it's exactly that. Like if you're looking at a card this way, we perceive it because that's what we think. But our awareness is everywhere, so we can easily perceive it on the other side. It sounds wonderful.